Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I, I do have to let Sandy know that um, he stretched me with that Batman and Robin clip that he did. He stretched me on that, but, but, uh, but he got me back with that cat and the knife, <laughs> knife one. That was, that was really good. And so, uh, Sandy, I just so he knows, if that's not all, all I'm taking away from the message. Um, I got the larger point in our need for God's wisdom. So let's stand together and let's turn in our Bibles to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15. I want to share a passage uh, and a teaching with you that um, has been a great uh, encouragement to me, a devotional thought really, and, uh, and especially as time continues to move on, and I hope it will be to you as well. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And so David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out with all of his household after him, but the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. And then all of his servants passed before him, all of the Cherethites, all of the Pelophites, all the Gittites, six hundred men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. And then the king said to Itai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back, and mercy and truth be with you. But Atei answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or in life, uh, even there also your servant will be. And so David said to Atei, Go and cross over. And then Atei the Gittite and all of his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all of the country wept with With a loud voice, and all of the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over. The brook Kidron, and all of the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. Father, we ask that you would speak to us from your throne and by your spirit and through your word, the great encouragement that is found in this passage, we pray. And give it a working, living place in our life and in our ministry to you, we pray, in these last days. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The time of these events, as they're recorded in chapter 15, King David is probably between the ages of 
55 and 60 years old. He is an older man by ancient standards, and he's at a time in life when a man of his position and of his accomplishments would typically be very quietly and very comfortably reaping the rewards of a lifetime of hard work and, and sacrifice. But David's life is anything but quiet and comfortable. Instead, David finds himself in the middle of uh, a crisis that threatens his very life. And to me, the single great word that rises off of the chapter and off of the pages of Scripture related to this chapter in his life and encapsulate this period of his, of his life is the word betrayal. David has been betrayed by his son Absalom. He's been betrayed by a trusted friend named Ahithophel. And these two have united together now, not only uh, to achieve David's overthrow as the king of Israel, but now they've joined together with the intent of achieving his death. And then shockingly, I mean heartbreakingly, shamefully, really, uh, the nation of Israel itself has in large part joined them in their rebellion against uh, David despite all that he had done uh, for them. And as a result, David is forced to flee his beloved Jerusalem, uh, brought into existence and uh, made a substantial city for the children of Israel uh, and built largely by him. And in fleeing Jerusalem, he's forced to flee his home, the tent called the Tabernacle of David, which contained the Ark of the Covenant, and he, which he so joyfully, as we know, transported into the city of Jerusalem at one time in his life and in his ministry, and I'm convinced uh, constituted what David probably considered the, to be the greatest accomplishment in his life. And that was to bring the Ark of the Covenant representing the very presence of God, bringing it to Jerusalem and all of it expressing David's desire to put God at the center of Israel's national life. And then in one hour, as we read here in this chapter, chapter 15, David goes from being one of the most powerful men in the uh, entire nation, indeed one of the most powerful men in that entire part of the world, to for a moment losing everything. In an instant, David becomes a refugee. And you stop and you think about it and you put yourself in his shoes. His wealth is gone, his home is gone, his power is gone, his position is gone. And in one instant in time, he has gone back now 30 years, back to the days when he fled King Saul day after day and night after night, when all he could offer those who followed him was hardship and hunger and thirst and a life-threatening danger, but with all of it a chance to be on the right side of things in a very crazy period in the history of the nation of Israel. And now David is vulnerable in a way that he's never been before in his entire life. Because in that earlier season in which he fled from King Saul, he still had the uh, youth, the strength of his youth, the advantages of his youth. He could, have, uh, could easily outrun or outfight anyone that would come against him. 
And, and there's that wonderful time in life of, of youth in which all a person has to do is just merely think something in their mind, and immediately their body does it for them without even a conscious decision uh, behind it. And in this season in David's life, he no longer has the fullness of those assets. But in the midst of this crushing betrayal by so many, this dark cloud really did have a silver lining for David because it was in this season that David's true friends rallied around him. And these kind of seasons in life, they're never easy, but perhaps they're sometimes necessary in order to reveal to us once again uh, who our true friends are. And sometimes perhaps it's necessary for the ranks of our friends to be tested a little bit, to be thinned out a little bit. And certainly, as was true with David, the more prominent and the more powerful a person is. When you're a nobody in the eyes of the world, your friends are very easy to spot. They are your friends. And, uh, and, uh, and that's by virtue of the fact that they are simply that. You realize there's a genuineness about their friendship. When all you have to offer them is just your simple, uh, humble self. But later when you attain success, and, and you gain reputation and stature and power and wealth and popularity as David had. It's harder to know who your true friends are. And would they stay with you through the thick and thin or for who you are, or are they just kind of opportunists who see you merely as a means to their end? And life in terms of these kind of things can be very, very complicated in this fallen world in which we live. But as crushingly hard as this season uh, was for David, it was a blessing in the sense that he would once again come to know who his true friends really were, who genuinely liked him, who genuinely respected him, were loyal to him, who understood what God was doing through him and his life for all of his flaws and all of his sins, all of his spots, all of his wrinkles. And in our Bible passage, David's true friends committed themselves to David when everything was going wrong. All that was happening around David's life was just one more level of bad news coming to him about his situation after another, minute by minute, when everything looked lost. And David had nothing to offer them at this point in time. He can offer them no money, no power, no hope, no victory. In fact, his entire world is collapsing. And to follow him at that moment looked like it would result in a sure death, not only of David, but of anyone that would follow him before the night was over. Because as surely as his enemies, if they could get their hands on David and slay him, they would take and slay before the night was over anyone who was aligned uh, with him. And so in a physical sense, to stick with David at this moment meant you had literally everything to lose and nothing to gain. And yet, for all of that, many stood with him. And the marvel of marvels that it is to me as you look at the passage is that a literal line formed in order to do so in David's uh, life. 
There was Zadok and Abiathar the priests and all of the Levites, these deeply spiritual men who knew of and they respected David's love for the Lord, his heart for God, and what David meant to the spiritual welfare of the nation. And then there was Hushai, David's close friend and advisor, who had seen what the fickle crowd had not. And that is what David had quietly and anonymously and sacrificially done uh, for decades for the good of the nation. And then there were the 600 men who had been with David from the early years of his exile, the men who had been with him from the very beginning when he was a nobody and, and a nothing in everybody's eyes except the eyes of God. And then you have Atei, and he had come to Jerusalem with his family, evidently with a loyal band of followers of his own, just the day before, probably driven into David's arm, driven to Jerusalem by instability in in his own uh, country, political instability. David offered him Jerusalem as a place of refuge and hospitality, and Atei remembered the good thing that had been done to him by David, and he could not live with himself if he did anything less than stand by David now in his time of need. And I ask you to notice once again those precious words of verse 15 and again verse 21, spoken to David by his friends when he was at rock bottom. And verse 15, and the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then in verse 21, Itai answered the king and said, as the lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. In other words, they were communicating to David. David, you, we are fully committed to you at whatever the cost. If it means life, if it means death, you have a great many difficulties that you need to uh, attend to and deal with in this situation, but don't give our loyalty a second thought at all. You simply lead, and we will follow. And can you imagine what those words must have meant to David at that uh, moment in time? what that encouragement must have meant uh, uh, to him uh, in, 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 at that moment. But I want you to notice as well that here is friendship and loyalty expressed at a strategic time when David was vulnerable and needy. It had been decades since David had needed his friends more than they needed him. And it would never happen again. This was a strategic moment, a very, very narrow window in time in which to express friendship and loyalty to David, an opportunity that would never occur again. And they did it. And here is David. He has lost everything, materially speaking, in an hour. But we don't have to pity him at all because he remains a rich man because any man who uh, has 600 plus will stand by him at a time like this is not a poor man, even if he has two or three to stand with him. 
who will not believe the lies in these kind of circumstances and who will not expect perfection from a man that can only be expected from God. And as the Psalms that came out of this season in David's life would reveal, Psalm 3, Psalm 4, Psalm 61, Psalm 62, Psalm 63, Psalm 143, David was also very conscious of another friend who stood with him and at his side through this season of betrayal. Another friend who also refused to leave him or to forsake him, and that friend, of course, was the Lord himself. And David wrote of uh, this friend in Psalm uh, uh, 3, verse 1. I'll read it to you. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Psalm 62, verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And of course, the Bible teaches that David's faithful friend is our faithful and ever-present friend as well. Jesus taught in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you, call, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. At the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and he spoke to the disciples saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And here, of course, we have the second great blessing of this kind of a season in life because it's at times like this that we come to recognize and appreciate Jesus' commitment and loyalty to us like never before. When sometimes others are long gone, but He remains at our side, and He never leaves us, He never forsakes us. And it's humbling to us when He does that, and we appreciate it, and we love Him all the more for it. And the Apostle Paul spoke of, uh, of the Lord in this vein in his own life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, 
He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, for the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as Christians, we are also wonderfully conscious of what Jesus' friendship and loyalty means to us. But very often, I think we are far less aware of what our friendship and loyalty means to Him, especially in the light of this world's treatment of Him and its rejection of Him as its King and its rebellion against Him as its King. Jesus' three-year public ministry, as we're probably all aware, was divided into three one-year segments. The first year is known as the year of obscurity. He was very little known during that first year of his public ministry. The second year is known as the year of popularity, when for the disciples it required absolutely nothing of them in order to uh, be faithful to him. It was like the early years of David's reign. It required nothing of an individual to stay faithful to him uh, as a friend. But then came the third year, the year of opposition. And it's interesting that during that third year, the year of opposition, that Jesus declared to the disciples in Luke chapter 22, verse 28, he said, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But you are those, Jesus, once again, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. I like how the Amplified Bible uh, puts it. You are those who have remained and have stood by me in my trials. In other words, the loyalty and the friendship of the disciples meant something to Jesus. For all of their flaws, for all of their failures, it still meant something to Jesus as they stood with Him during His season of rejection. And it is humbling to realize that He noticed it, and then humbling to realize that He appreciated it. And I think that the third year of opposition against Jesus has now become 2,000 years of opposition. And what David experienced for a week or two, and the pain and the rebellion and the repaying of, uh, of good with evil and so forth, has now been Jesus' portion for 2,000 years. And we live in a world that is hostile toward Jesus, that's in rebellion to his life in rebellion to his, his teaching, and it's everywhere and growing rapidly all around us. The culture increasingly is anti-Christ. The entertainment, the television, the movies, the books, the magazines, increasingly so. 
in government, in academia, even in religion, even in what professes to uh, be Christian. And it is the world that we live in, and it seems as if no one misses a chance to take a pot shot uh, at Jesus and a, a chance to insult Him today. And in this season of man, man's history on planet Earth, Jesus' portion is one of massive and open hostility directed against Him. And His enemies grow stronger and they grow bolder. And as a result, by the year, it's becoming more and more risky for us to identify ourselves with Him, more and more dangerous to make our stand with Him publicly as His friend. But it is all of this that makes our decision to do so all the more precious to Him. And I want you to notice that this window of opportunity, again, for David's friend to rise up and to show themselves to be faithful would be a comparatively short one because David's enemies would soon be defeated and his kingdom would be fully restored. He will go on to rule for many more years and never again in David's life would he need this kind of support from his friends. The window of opportunity to show it was a very short one, and it was a very, very strategic one. And in the same way, this present season that we have to show our friendship and our loyalty to Jesus in the midst of such opposition and rejection of Him is a short one. It's a strategic opportunity that one will one day pass and one day man's rebellion against Jesus will be brought to an end. And this heaven and this earth will give way to a new heaven and to a new earth. And one day when we stand in the midst of that heavenly scene, it will no longer be the costly or the extraordinary thing to live a life of loyalty to Him. On that day when we stand in the midst of that heavenly scene, there will be only popularity for our King. There will be only praise. There will be only worship and only adoration. And never again, never again, will it be a costly or extraordinary thing to be a loyal friend to Him. But today it is. And because it is, our loyalty to Him now is all the more precious to Him. And praise the Lord for the privilege that is ours today to bless His heart in this present season of rejection through our loyal friendship. And how wonderful it is to realize that just as the loyalty of David's friends meant much to Him, so too our loyalty today means much to Jesus as well. And it warms my heart to think about that. It provokes something noble within me. It stirs something deep and noble within me by the Holy Spirit. And I can't always give the Lord gold or diamonds, but I can be a faithful friend to Him. And again, Jesus declared to the disciples, but you are those who have continued with me 
in my trials. He notices it, and he appreciates it. We sing the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And of course, it's wonderfully true, and it's supremely true. But it is also wonderful to realize what our friendship means to him, and to realize that he notices it, and that he appreciates it, and it blesses him. And how wonderful it is to be numbered among his loyal friends in this world at this time in human history. There is a, 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 a hymn that I like, a stanza of it, that speaks to all of this. And it's a hymn in, uh, that is entitled, Midst the Darkness, Storm, and Sorrow. And it goes like this. Oh, the blessed joy of meeting at the desert past, all the desert past. Oh, the wondrous words of greeting he shall speak at last. He and I together entering the fair realm above. He and I together sharing all the Father's love. Where no shade nor stain can enter, nor the gold be dim. In His holiness unsullied, I shall walk with Him. Meet companion then for Jesus, for Him, uh, from Him, for Him made. Glory of God's grace forever there in me displayed. And then here it is. He who in his hour of sorrow bore the curse alone. I who through the lonely desert trod where he had, where he had gone. He and I in that bright glory uh, one deep joy shall share. Mine to be forever with him and his that I am there. What a wonderful thing to realize uh, what our loyal friendship means to the Lord and what it provokes within us, what it does within us in the face of the temptations of this world and how it strengthens us in the face of temptation, how it strengthens us against becoming carnal or becoming uh, lukewarm. This desire here uh, to uh, be the friend that uh, Jesus calls us to be by His Holy Spirit and being faithful and loyal to Him in this hour in human history that He has called us not only to serve Him, but to be a friend to Him. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this very, very short strategic period of time that is called our lives in which to express our love for you, our loyalty to you, Jesus, to be a loyal friend to you in the power of your Holy Spirit. We would never believe that anything that we are in this way would be meaningful to you in any way if we didn't see it with our own eyes. But we see it, and we count it a privilege. And we pray, Lord, that in this hour of rejection, Jesus, that you face in this world all around us by so many, that you would grace us to be a loyal and a faithful friend to you 
all the days of the pilgrimage that lie before us. Thank you, Lord, for the personal relationship. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for sanctification. Thank you for everything, Jesus, that you have provided for us as Christians. But we thank you most of all that there was a relationship that you offered in the midst of all of this as well. Thank you for what your relationship means to us, Lord. And we pray that you grace us, that our relationship with you would bless you in this season of rejection in the world in which we live. And we pray, Lord, that this great theme, this great thought would rise up within us when temptations will come our way that would tempt us to cease to be a loyal friend to you. When carnality will uh, offer its invitation, lukewarmness and compromise and the easy path will offer its temptation to leave this place at your side. Thank you, Lord, for this great privilege and what it, uh, what it not only does for you, but what it builds into our lives and it does for us. We thank you for the privilege of being a friend to you. And we thank you in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.